0: Broadcasting live from Business Radio X, it's time for Coach the Coach. Welcome to Coach the Coach, helping business coaches deliver more impact in less time. Broadcasting live on the Business Radio X network. If you're a business coach and want to help more people make more money and own your backyard, go to brxteam.com. Lead is going to be a fantastic show. Please join me in welcoming to the broadcast strategic director with Parisio and Company, Miss Tamra Parisio. How are you?
1: I am doing well. Thank you so much for having me here today.
2: Well, Tamara, before we
1: get too far
2: into things, can you share a little bit about Parisio and Company? How are you serving folks?
1: I am a strategic director. I use that instead of the word coach because a director, uh, you know, I like to frame everything around the film industry because Hollywood is a big influence for me. And a director is a coach who assists you to step into your own leading role and give the most profound uh, performance that you can give in that moment. And so it's very much like coaching, but it's one step further. It's putting you in the spotlight, and and you are in charge. You are the star of your own show.
2: So now, how did you come about this uh, philosophy of kind of using the film industry as kind of the language and the markers that you're using in your terminology?
1: You know, when I was growing up, I always felt like my life was much like the Truman show are you familiar with that I am. where there's a camera and a set and truman is just living his life and all of these people are watching him live it it was kind of a uh, the way i felt i lived and the big observer was the eye in the sky or you know it could be god the universe whatever you want to call it but that's always how i felt like i was living and i in that i always wanted to entertain and be brilliant And I would be my own worst critic because, of course, when I stepped into a scene and didn't pull it off the way I wanted to or things were too new to me and I didn't know where to go, I was beating myself up thinking, oh, you know, by the time I got home, I could have said this, I should have said that, I would have said the other thing. And I learned to start journaling through that. And my journal became like a script. So when I went into a scene or a party or an event, I had this preconceived notion of how I wanted to show up and step into it and how I wanted to be the character me in that arena. I also loved old movies. Um, (laughs) One of them, Pillow Talk uh, was kind of an advertising and marketing bent um, where two people come up with a product that doesn't exist and start to advertise it to create demand before they figure out what the product's going to be. So, uh, you know, Having that that influence of old movies, TV shows, advertising, and marketing, and the way that journaling and myself showing up in my life um, was kind of a cocktail for how this all came about later.
2: So now, what was your background? Did you start? Where did you, your work career begin?
1: I uh, started in advertising in Minneapolis. I graduated from college and I went to work for a small firm called Shagabi Advertising. It was kind of my Darren Stevens moment, uh, if you remember Bewitched, where he worked with Larry Tate and uh, in a small firm and kind of was copy and contact. That was the type of agency I worked with. Um, some of the most inventive things at the time, we would buy a page of advertising and resell it to multiple um, advertisers, much like the advertorial things that are going on today. So I, I feel I was part of the invention of that, mm-hmm. <laughs> the creation of that in the marketplace. So I started at a small agency and then moved to Los Angeles to be a small fish in a big sea with the intention of moving back to Minneapolis. And of course, Um, Life took me in different directions, but I got to work with wonderful firms such as BBD&O and Ogilvy & Mazer before I switched over and a client hired me to work in marketing where advertising is just one aspect of what I did.
2: So now when you were going through your career, were you having those same coaching opportunities where you're working with your clients and maybe you're having to tell them some hard truths or give them some help in the repositioning of what they're thinking. So is coaching always part of kind of your toolkit?
1: Absolutely. You know, it's interesting because I think in one way or another, as a leader, as a mentor, as a a business person with a staff, you are coaching people all the time. As a family member, you're coaching your your, your children, your family, or as a friend, people come to you for advice, you're coaching. So coaching is, I think, integral to just living life. The, the thing that I recognized is because I would script and prepare, I was ready for different impromptu moments, even when they showed up. And one of the things that I realized is that a lot of people had hidden agendas. They were afraid to be authentic and they would come together and real possibility got lost in that. So it became really apparent that helping people feel comfortable with what is, and kind of uh, being a little bit in your face with the truth, but filled with tact and diplomacy so that I would survive it, <laughs> uh, was a was an opportunity that always brought good results. Um, people react and respond to things based on um, meaning that they bring to the party so it's it's interesting as a coach to see that if you can break down the preconceived notions and the meaning that's not really present and get people to define the moment the way it is for the scene it is for the for the action that is desired to take place then you can be much more productive and you can bring much more inventiveness to the moment.
2: Now, when you're working with your clients and um, whether it's as a strategic director coach or whatever you want to call it, do you see some mistakes that people tend to make uh, at the level of work that you're doing? Are they are are people making the same mistakes over and over and you go, "Oh, here we go again." Well,
1: there are a few things. Yes. Yeah. I think the number one mistake that I have seen historically is that, that people get bored with their primary uh, story or character or brand. So I always say, you know, if, if you're doing a campaign or you have a message that you put out there and you're starting to get bored with it, that's when someone comes and says, Oh, I, I need to refresh my website. I need new copy. I need a new ad, something like that. At that moment, is probably when the marketplace is just hearing it for the first time, because the market needs to hear something six to eight times before they even recognize the message. And then you need to let them take hold of it. So for instance, I have a client I work with who is a celebrity in her arena and she would always want to show up differently for her events. And I constantly told her you have to be in character in on brand or you're diluting your message in the marketplace because you're just getting your face known and then once you're known the more you show up that way it's just like the, the the ronald mcdonald clown is always in the same outfit and showing up the same way whoever's portraying him around the country so so you know show up in character and Uh, So now she actually got to the point where she calls me up to ask permission uh, to, to wear something different or do something different just to hear me say no. And then she, she'll put on her, her costume and show up on brand. And what has happened with that is that she's built her presence. People recognize her from across the room because they're looking for that. If she wore a different outfit or did her hair differently or did a different schematic color wise, it would not be as impactful because it wouldn't be able to build on itself. But if she's always in that red dress, always in those black shoes, always carrying that bag to you know, with her craft, she shows up and is recognizable as an icon.
2: Now, what is the kind of pain that your prospective clients are having where they, uh, they say, you know what, I got to call Tamara?
1: A lot of times it's that they don't know what to do next. People get overwhelmed by it and most of the people i work with have either a very loose business plan or none whatsoever and i always want to start with that strategic overview like the script i call it the script and if you take a look at where you're going i recently worked with a client who was just perplexed about what to do wanted to get clients into her business and uh you know, when I met with her, she had like no idea where she was going to go. We built a plan and I started asking her bigger term. where three years from now, five years from now, where do you want to be? And she said, well, I'd actually like to open up another market. And she named, I said, name your top six markets. She named them. And she said, are we really talking about this now? I said, yes, because every step you do today is going to lead in the direction of this bigger plan that you have. Or it's not going to be effective you want this to build on each other well sure enough um, after a little bit of time you know with that we stepped it back we did the 90 day plan and the 30 day plan and broke it down into steps she could do in the day and right now she is negotiating with uh, a force that's going to assist her in franchising her business and the six markets she mentioned five of them are in the markets that are being considered so, it, it you know, giving people to, number one, look long term and then bring it back and take steps in that direction. If you have that vision and if you have that written down, you are more likely to recognize the opportunities when they come up and to pursue them in a way that that supports your bigger picture.
2: Do you find that clients uh, tend to think maybe too small and, and part of your role is to get them to open their mind to larger possibilities?
1: Absolutely. One of the sayings that resonates around this is that people overestimate what they can accomplish in one year, but they underestimate what they can accomplish in three to five. So if you have that longer term vision and that bigger picture, it actually pulls you through those moments when you think you're not getting anywhere fast (laughs) and, you know, just encouraging them with that bigger, bigger view makes the small steps that we're taking today, even the difficult steps that we don't want to do, it makes it more bearable.
2: Now, when you're working with a client and, um, it sounds like your role is more strategic and big picture do you find that um sometimes the client gets hung up on the tactics and and we call them cosmetrics but some metrics that maybe don't really matter in the big picture but to them are super important for example it would be like you know I have to get my Twitter followers up or I have to you know you know get more people to like my stuff on Instagram whereas you know if your objective is to get into six markets or 10 or 100 You know, that's kind of important, but that's kind of can be a distraction in terms of the your time.
1: Absolutely. There are a lot of those situations going on because people don't always know what their key metrics are. And I like to say, you know, if you have a a, a billion followers on Twitter, but nobody is retweeting you or asking you questions or engaging with you, It's a meaningless audience. And another thing I see people doing is they want to drive fans and followers to their social media platforms at the expense of the traffic that they're getting at their website. You know, people come to their website and they say, oh, like me on Twitter and follow me on Facebook and yada, yada. You got all of these people coming to your website and then click that fast, you're sending them away. And so it's like counter productive. What I advise them to do is find a way to get people to come to your website, stay for a while, give them something interesting to read, give them something to sign up for, maybe in exchange for their email address and their phone number. You can give them, you know, some information that's valuable to them. Keep them on your website, build the relationship with them there. The the social media channels, you know, or some of these tactical things have a better positioning and a better chance to be powerful when you have that long-term vision, because you can see how they are part, uh, part of a bigger plan. Your plan is not to build your social media following. Your plan is to build awareness of your brand, and when your brand builds, your social media following will reflect that.
0: If you're just joining us, you're listening to Coach the Coach, helping business coaches deliver more impact in less time. If you're a business coach and want to help more people make more money and own your backyard, go to brxteam.com. So, Tamara, this is Stone with Business Radio X. I've been listening in on your conversation with Lee, and um, I think that I could get a little bit of guidance from you, that might be helpful to our listeners as well. I'm not out in the marketplace as a coach uh, needing to sell my coaching services to other clients, but I do find myself wearing that hat a little bit as a coach, a mentor, a resource to our studio partners who run studios across the uh, across the country. And I'm I'm wondering what counsel, if any, you might have to offer when, if and when you have a I don't know, what do you call them, a coachee, a client? <laughs> if, they, if they're not really taking action on the things you talked about, like you you know maybe you have a weekly standing call or a monthly standing call, and it all sounds good and you have a lot of conversation, but then when you check back in, they really haven't taken action. Do you have some sort of, I don't know, structured approach or something you do to try to keep them on track and bring them back to the fold and or fire them?
1: Absolutely. And firing them sometimes is the only option The, you know, whenever someone's dragging their feet on doing something, there's a story or a belief or something in the way of action. And a lot of times I find it to be fear, fear of making that step, fear of making a mistake, fear of, of, you know, not being good enough. Um, It can be anything. So one of the aspects of what I do is, is get people into character. If I show up and I am a little bit nervous because I'm speaking to an audience and I'm not feeling my confidence, when I when I play with this aspect of stepping into character, I associate myself with the me who is, um, you know, aligned with my icons, Anna Wintour or Carol Burnett or that, and then I step into this role with my, you know, summoning that inner Carol Burnett wiggling my ear and, you know, taking it from there because it's no longer about me. It's about this character I'm playing. The character is very much aligned with me, but it's um, it gives me a, a, an internal like North Star to hold on to. So sometimes with my clients, I will try to find what their North Star is, what guides them, what, what's their why, what what is it that they need? To overcome the limit. So, you know, a, a lot of it, too, is just going through the whole process of finding out what the limit is. You know, if, you're, if your uh, first boss said, oh, my gosh, you're a terrible communicator, and um, this, is, this is an obnoxious presentation, and you're about ready to give a presentation, we find out that that's kind of the underpinning of your mm-hmm. underconfidence. We can go back and say, hey, you know what, on that day, you were a terrible presenter, but you have all of this practice now and you have this behind you and you have uh, rehearsed it in these ways to unplug that limitation from holding them back from taking the next step. It's, it's a process that changes with each person, but ultimately you have to let your client know that nobody's going to step in and say that there is no Superman and (laughs) you have to become your own, your own uh, superpower and your own star. You have to step in to the leading role of your success.
2: Good advice. Now, um, when you're coaching there, it requires kind of levels of vulnerability on behalf of your client and also of yourself. Do you ever find it's appropriate to share some of the mistakes that you've made and failures you've had in order to help, um, kind of your client articulate some of their challenges?
1: Absolutely. I think people over, I don't know, over credit failure as this big negative thing. And failure just indicates that you're trying something new and that you're growing. You know, we all tried to crawl before we walked. And when we stood up, we fell down, but we got up and went. Nobody said that it was bad to fall down when you're, you know, learning to walk. Well, here, you know, I have, I have worked with clients and, you know one of my biggest failures recently was that i failed to set expectations and manage those expectations so the scope creep on the project just ended up eating into my time and i was being undervalued and then when i tried to stop the bleeding of my time and get you know compensated accordingly uh it was all, i had already set a precedent for working that hard on the project and um, so there was some discouragement. I had to manage that. It was a failure. It was, you know, it was, it, it left them unhappy in that moment. But you know what? I learned from it. So now I have very um, concrete ways that I make sure we're all on the same page. And, and that was, you know, it, learning to, to keep people on the same page was a painful process for me in that because you know it's like we all want to be liked and we all want to be loved and ultimately the work that we do we we want it to be meaningful and and make good in the world and uh so when that doesn't happen you know there's that moment of of oh my gosh I failed and there's shame. Well you got to get out of shame. You you know failure doesn't mean you're a bad person. It means you just did something that didn't work. So if you learn from it, you know that you can make an adjustment there, and it becomes a lesson, and it becomes something that you can share with others. This is what I did that didn't work. So now I'm doing this other thing that's working. I have a um, 360 review process that I like to use for anything. One, what am I doing that's working? I'm going to keep doing it two what am i doing that's counterproductive i'm going to stop doing it and three what am i not doing that if i added to this could bring some productivity i'm going to try that
2: right and if you're not trying things and and occasionally making mistakes you're not like you said growing absolutely so for you, what does the ideal client look like? Are they in certain industries? Are they uh, certain demographics? Like how do you uh, identify your best clients?
1: Well, and that is one area where I can improve in my life. I don't have a niche right now. I have a couple of areas, though, that are becoming more um, favorite to me. I like working with um People who are just starting out in kind of creative fields, authors. Uh, I have a, a fashion designer I'm working with, um, entertainers, uh, those type of folks who who are their brand. They, they are, you know, the person behind the story. Kind of like you know putting Steve Jobs as Steve Jobs, um, or uh, you know the author in it. And I like to help them build their proprietary process so that they have a meaningful way to wrap. Their message in the marketplace. The other thing I'm enjoying and I like to do is to come in to corporations and work with their C-suite. So he, he, here's how I kind of put it: you know, when you're when you're at that level, there's a lot of um, hidden agendas and conflict and all of that. And I like to get together with everyone and position it so that they feel comfortable with each other to be open about their own personal agendas, as well as the corporate agendas, because then you can get the team aligned. And when they're aligned behind the vision of the company and they're open about sharing their personal visions for their life, because professionally and personally, it's all one life, and it's got to be part of the plan to be most effective. I, 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 I t- show them how they show up, each of them starring in their own personal success, but co-starring together in the company vision. So it's kind of like Ocean's Eleven. You know, these stars all had to come together and play their part and play it well with with the best performance possible so that they could all get the mother load.
0: (laughs) That's
2: right. So they all can win.
1: Absolutely. And then they take that to their teams and their teams become more coherent and and effective because they, you know, when, when you know, that, you know, you you're, you're, you can support each other personally and professionally and you can let each other know what you need, both personally and professionally. It makes all the dynamics just that much more effective.
2: Now, for you, do you enjoy working more in person, face-to-face, or virtually, you know, using phone or Skype or one of the video conferencing channels?
1: When I'm working with people who are um, outside of my, you know, radius, Um, I am happy to do Zoom or Skype because it gives you the face time. It's, you know, when I'm working with a group, I I, I prefer to have that time in person because there's a lot more dynamic going on and it's easier to keep everyone participating, Um, you know, than when you're on a virtual call, someone can kind of fall off the screen.
0: (laughs)
2: Now, uh, before we wrap, can you share a piece of actionable advice, um, maybe some of the best advice you ever received that can help a coach kind of uh, smooth out their learning curve?
1: I think this, the first thing is to actually put yourself through your own process. I journal every single day. I, I wake up and I journal, and I, my journal is my playbook of action personal and professional. So I have outlined what my goals are for three, five, 10 years. I have pulled it back to my 90-day arena, my 30-day arena, and here's what I'm doing today. And I review that every day. That's my process for my clients. And so I put myself through my own process. Then I find out, you know, what works, where are the hurdles. Yeah, some mornings it's really hard. I'd rather take 20 extra minutes and sleep, you know. But if I get myself up and I get going, there's a reward for doing this because my day is more focused, I'm more prepared for what shows up, and I'm pre- prepared for those so-called impromptu demands when you know the the engine light goes on and I have to take the car in all of a sudden. it's It's a way uh, that that works, and I've got the personal experience to know that it works. So I can assist my clients much more readily in their process because in some way I've experienced what they are experiencing.
2: Now, if somebody wanted to reach out and have a more substantive conversation with you and learn about your process and how you can serve them, uh, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Website?
1: My website is Tamara com. That's T-A-M-A-R-A-P-A-R-I-S-I-O.com. And you can reach, me via email or my phone. I think all of the information is on the website. Uh, I'd be happy to engage in a conversation and get you started in the leading role of your success.
2: Well, Tamara, thank you so much for sharing your story today.
1: Thank you for the time.
2: I appreciate it. All right. This is Lee Cantor for Stone Payton. We will see you all next time on Coach the Coach Radio.